A weekend with Jason Dacey replay from Money FM 89.3. Inspiring interviews, Singapore stories here on Money FM 89.3. We're going to talk to a man who's an icon when it comes to the media scene here in Singapore. He's been here for many decades. His name is Barry Graham Butler. He is the head or managing director of Speakeasy Digital. Welcome to Money FM. Good nice to, to be here. Good to have you yes, here. Thank you. Good to have you here. So we're talking about your journey to Singapore, and it's an incredible journey, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But first of all, what about uh, the services that your company provides here at Singapore? You're at um, Sims Avenue in Geylang. Uh, yeah, we are um, a recording studio providing um, voiceover work, uh, location recording, subtitling, the, the basic things in, in audio. And many languages too, right? Well, one of the things we try to do is get lots of languages and we were the foremost supplier of languages around in Southeast Asia. We have a fantastic database of this kind of thing. And you've been here since 1984. That's an incredible thing. I know you've been in four different mm-hmm. locations. You're now in um, Sims Avenue, but you've also been in Boat Key, Mount Faber, mm-hmm. Commonwealth. Um, so it's something that's gone on for more than three decades. It's, it's been a while. The first, the first opening was in Boat Key, mm. and we were there until Boat Key started becoming from the old Boat Key to the new Boat Key. Yeah. Then we moved there to Mount Faber, which was the uh, biggest of the a beautiful old house on Mount Faber Road. Uh, and I think Mount Faber was seven years, Mount Faber. Mm-hmm. After that, moved on to Commonwealth. Right. And, um, and your current location, about nine years, is that right? Nine, and, yeah, just going on about nine, I think now. Wow. So you're originally, you're from, like me, you're from Sydney, Australia. You grew up in, in <clears throat> Sydney. You went to Knox Grammar, which is where Hugh Jackman went, and you know him from Hollywood. Uh, no, I didn't meet him. No, <laughs> not the same year, but uh, and then you and then you worked in um, record stores and worked in the advertising agencies in in Australia, and that gave you, a, I guess, a bit of a grounding in that kind of audio and entertainment area. Probably that. I mean, I always liked music and stuff like that, and used to fool around at the house and listen to a lot of stuff. Uh, and I worked in this record sh- uh, shop in North Sydney, which had a branch in Boat, um, boat Key, in Circular Key. <laughs> yes, in the city, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, was there, I sort of took it up, but we had being, uh, having the access to all these albums and stuff like that. Mm. I, was, I was started making uh, cassettes for the pubs around the town. So, so you'd like actually record <clears throat> off the albums on the old cassettes? No, I didn't do that. So you'd be working, I guess, creating audio for uh, for them for these pubs and, and clubs. I I got reel to reel in, and I multi tracked. I started multi tracking uh, various good songs, latest releases, and things like that, and doing the voiceover for them, saying, and you know, going to particular pubs around the area. Yeah. So I, actually, I know that I know the record store that you worked in, Sound Effects. That was actually where I grew up in in North Sydney. So I remember being in that store in the 70s when you were there. but So you, you were working in that scene, but then you decided to go overseas. I think it was 1975. You were around 27 oh. years old, something like that, <laughs> in your 20s. And you, and you were, started working on Francis Ford Coppola films. How did that happen? I mean, famous uh, films like Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter, these classic films. How did you end up working on these kind of uh, feature films? Well, I'd travelled through various parts of Southeast Asia after leaving Sydney. So you left uh, with a with a bag and, and uh, lots of hopes, I guess. Yeah, and a huge roll of denim to sell. Um, first was Bali. I stayed in Bali for a bit over long, and mm. then moved out. And it, uh, Bali must have been very different back in the. It was. The it was. It wasn't it was, like it was, it was today. It was Eden in 1975. Yeah, Garden of Eden. But I spent. A, 
quite a long time in Southeast Asia and sort of was overstaying the period of time that I could in Indonesia. So I you needed to move on. I, yeah, so I extracted myself from Indonesia and found myself in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And I flew in from Manado to Davao as a log on a logging flight because it was the only way I could get out of Indonesia. Is that right? <laughs> wow. I read about uh, availabilities for extras um, for an upcoming movie. Availabilities so, for extras, right? Yeah, Act, uh, acting. Acting, well, you know, extra, mm. crawling around, doing something, yeah, yeah. making a bit of money. So at 30 US a day, when you're backpacking around the world, it's quite good. So I went up to Manila and met a girl by the name of Eva Gardos, who mm. was the casting director for Apocalypse Now. And she sort of said, would you like to join this? Da, da, da. Absolutely. You have to shave your beard, cut your hair off, take all the earrings out, (laughs) because you'll become uh, a grunt, a GI. And so that happened. I shaved and looked splendid. So you're in a movie set on Apocalypse Now. Well, they put us through boot camp. They actually had a master sergeant, and we had to do five weeks rugged training, learn to jump out of helicopters, strip a rifle, put it back together within time. Really? It was that that precise for an extra. You know, because he wanted realism in this movie. So and was this filmed in the Philippines or? Um, yeah, they wanted to do it in Vietnam, but um, the Vietnamese government wouldn't allow it. Yeah, so, so the so Philippines the became, yeah, it was too, it was a topical thing mm. at this time. A lot of war movies going on. Yeah, so it's, I guess I can imagine the scene here. It's the 1970s and Vietnam is the, the hot topic. And then here you are, you've been recruited to be on a, an extra on a Francis Ford Coppola film, Apocalypse Now. I decided I absolutely loved it, you know. And there was no way in the world I was going to not be on this movie. So I worked and worked and worked. And when the, my extra, extramanship was over, I moved into the casting department. Then I went to the marine department mm. and helped build and unbuild boats because I knew a bit about fiberglass. Um, after that, though, I found that they, there was a situation on the set and Mr. Coppola was jumping up and down wanting somebody to be in a particular spot and there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. And I knew where the walkie-talkies were, so I availed myself one of those and took care of what he wanted. So you became part of the crew. So I then became crew. From extra to crew. Yeah. And then uh, I became quite good friends with uh, some of the people, Fred Forrest being one of them. Mm. And then when something happened, Fred says, well, you look a bit like me. Do you want to become my photographic double? And the pay will be good. So you became the double for one of the for Fred Forrest, one of the, yeah, the yeah. lead actors, yeah. right? So I had to get up in the morning and have my tattoos painted on at 5 a.m. and all this sort of stuff. Wow. Not that you could see them from 500 yards. But right. <laughs> But they're yeah. so precise. So this yeah. was was one of the greatest films of the 1970s. So you went from Apocalypse Now, then you worked on Deer Hunter. That was another Francis Ford Coppola movie. No, that was Michael Cimino. Oh, okay. So what had happened after after Apocalypse finished, the, the place became a ghost town. And, and it was just mortifying to me, not for the Americans. They wanted to go home. But mm. it's two years. So you were there for two a couple years. of years, right? Yeah. So yeah. Deer Hunter was uh, another major and, film. And then I... There was a movie to go called Opium in in Hong Kong with mm. the director. He was part of the Apocalypse group. Right. He got killed in a plane crash. And so then oh, I yeah, went out, they were out scouting and the helicopter hit some high tension wires. Oh, dear. So my job on uh, Opium didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so then I asked the, the people around there and they said, well, if you can get to Bangkok, there's another movie coming up that you might be able to get in. I'll recommend that. So I said, I'm on my way. So I flew to Bangkok and I went and saw the, it was an English EMI and American 
co-production. Right. So uh, David Anderson was the guy I saw, the English half. And this is Deer Hunter. This is Deer Hunter. So mm. we discussed and he said, what have you just done? So I told him my apoc- apocalyptic career. <laughs> and he says, okay, you can start as second AD. Second assistant director. Yeah, and um, for, the, for the local hire. So basically I think that was a production assistant really. But mm. they, they like to make you feel good. Right. And so I did, I think, six, six or seven months in, in Thailand. In Thailand, yeah. okay. Okay, working on the Deer Hunter, another iconic movie from the 1970s. It was, it was all, that was all the Asian side of it. The most, the, the longer part of the movie was all in the States. I see, I yeah. see. So this is the location scenes for Apocalypse Now and, and Deer Hunter that you worked on uh, in in Southeast Asia. So that what what an incredible uh, grounding in, in motion pictures. So how did that kind of turn into the the Singapore audio job? I lived in Thailand after that. I decided mm. that Thailand was a wonderful place to live, but it was, there was no other work in that kind of uh, industry. So at some point I got married in there. And so being married in Thailand and not actually having an ongoing career, I thought I moved. So I came to Singapore and started looking for opportunity. And what year was that? Uh, 1980. Right. I think. That's a long time ago. (laughs) a long time ago. 38 years ago. So you're looking for a job. But eventually you'd go out on your own with the um, with the audio career. Well, I came in and the, the place I found to live was uh, behind the cockpit hotel at that time. Mm. And Yarrow Films was just starting. So right. A guy called Chris Batson came up from Melbourne and uh, he was going to start the first kind of film company yeah. in Singapore. And we lived in the same apartment block and he needed a video editor sort of taking a lot of the story out. But uh, So I said, well, I can do that. Mm. And so he said, oh, okay, well... Away you go. So, so we, you started working as a video I, editor I for start, Yarrow Films in Singapore. I started working as a video editor. So I was, okay, and then and they, Yarrow became video headquarters. I see. But what about Speakeasy? Tell us how that, well, that transpired. Whilst I was at, at Yarrow, which is one of the things I sort of bewail now, but whilst I was at Yarrow, we would send out to the only two recording studios in town. One was Peter Baldwin's Sound Lab, and I think the other one was called Studio 13. Okay. And so when we needed audio, we would send off to one of these places. And I'm sitting in there doing the video editing side. I said, why do we send this stuff out? Why don't we do it ourselves? And I said, well, we don't have a recording studio. And I said, why not? We can make one. And they said, do you know how to make one? I said, well, yeah, of course. So I bought the equipment. I put it in and installed it into Yarra and incorporated that as, as Speakeasy. So it wasn't oh, I see. It wasn't the Yarra Films recording studio. It was Speakeasy. Speaking of- Barry Butler from Speakeasy Digital. He's the managing director of this iconic Singapore media institution. So from that, I guess that was the logical step to go out on your own. Yeah, well, I st- no, that was with Yarra until then. Yarra wanted to become VHQ or, or morph, a, morph into that sort of thing. So at that split, that's when the studio wasn't necessary because VHQ didn't have one at that time. So I was trying to become, in discussions with them, the studio for VHQ. So I went out and then I moved into my first studio was in Boat Key, number 66, Boat Key. Mm. And when it was an old Boat Key. Right. So your first studio is there and you're doing like voiceovers, you're doing like, I guess, acting and radio kind of stuff, uh, all sorts well, of stuff. It was all back in the days of tape, mm. you know, so we used to take a lot longer and we, uh, we would record and do all, all the voiceovers and provide music and, and um Mm. And you've got, and the thing I like about your studio is that you have all sorts of languages and accents, uh, 
you know, we're working with a Korean uh, lady today, and, and she's going to do a demo for you in Korean. Uh, I, I know, you know, my wife's from Hong Kong. She does a, she's done a Cantonese uh, demo. So it must be a fascinating world to have all these voices from around the world in your library. It is. I mean, but when we would get uh, commercial requests or voiceover recording requests, there was a guy around town who's still here, and you'd hear one commercial that had him on it, and for, it was for trucks, for instance. Mm. The next commercial was for hair wash. Yep. It had him on it. The next one was for something else. And I went, this is ridiculous. The product is suffering mm-hmm. because you've got the same voice across the board. So then I went on the concerted effort hunt to make sure that for every voice you had, for every ad, you had the appropriate voice. So if it was going to be hard yakka jeans, mm. you had a hard yakka voice. Right, right. So, and they weren't actually available in Singapore. So I was at the Hilton Playhouse one time and there was a good show on. So I went and saw the people behind it and got to talking to the actors and said, whilst you're in town, would you mind doing voiceover work for me? Da, da, da. And the, one of the girls, the actresses, ran a place called The Voice Shop mm. in the UK. Mm. So I said, would you like to become my voice supplier? Mm-hmm. And the Australian English handshake sealed the deal. And so for every nice voice, you know, per se, uh, appropriate, I would go to her. So when we did a, an ad for Rover, you know, which is a superior, mm, luxury British, car, yeah. you couldn't use someone saying, yeah, Rover's a really nice car, <laughs> mate. You know. So we, yeah. we had this guy say, when mm. you're driving slowly, you must have <laughs> Rover. So, so what, what do you think you've learned, you know, from this journey that you've had? You know, what to you has been the best thing about creating audio and, and being here in Singapore for 34 years? I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, you have. Um, the best thing about it, I mean, what I really like about it is the people that you meet. You know, um, if you're in a bank, for instance, or you're in a, the finance industry, you really don't meet anybody in that in that mm-hmm. kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, voiceover people, someone comes, they're a different nationality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to talk about what they do. If you're listening to another language, you get a sort of a tempo going. If you might not speak it, mm. but you know where you should stop it. Uh, or you should edit it, right? Like right. That. So it's a real feel for it. Yes, mm, it is. Mm. It's a fascinating group of people in this industry, you know, mm. and, the, and the different and the changes uh, on a day by day basis of how the equipment works. And so, I mean, my, my original studio had tape, you know, and now I do. It's all digital now. Yeah. <laughs> but now I have students come along mm. and I still have tape machines and I do archiving and things like that. Uh, but I've got 20 students there and I go, okay, this is what we used to use. And they look at it and sort of go, <laughs> what is that? And when it gets to silence, this is where the, mm. the chalk mark went. So how do we find out more about your studio and your services? Do you have a website that we can look at? Yeah, we have a www.speakeasydigital.com and uh, everything is there. It's a very nice site. And if you've got an exotic voice, Barry well, I Butler don't, wants I to don't hear. have, <laughs> but <laughs> well, there, there are many that do. And that's, that is a gift. I mean, for anybody that is fortunate enough to be blessed with a nice voice, they should seriously take it up and read a lot, read aloud. Mm. Um, and just and, perfect it. And think about it. Yeah, I, there's a guy in the UK, his name's Enright Tell. I think he's Bosnian or something or other like that. Mm-hmm. But he can be so many people, he doesn't really know who he is. (laughs) Well, finally, I've got you here in the studio. I can't believe it. You're usually on the other side of the mic, but many many thanks to Barry Graham Butler. He is the Managing Director, Supervising Audio Engineer at Speakeasy Digital Private Limited. It's a Singapore institution. 
Barry, thanks for being my guest and telling me how you went from Sydney to feature films, Apocalypse Now and right here now in Singapore.